Okay, so listen. Here's what happened with the Javi Baez play. And if you haven't seen it, it was... Okay, so today's Wednesday, the 24th. It was a Tuesday night game against the Dodgers. And Javi Baez, he bats righty. So he hits... um, a grounder to first base and starts running up the first baseline. So put that picture in your head. And he's running up the first baseline and David freeze just picks up the grounder and he goes to tag Javi Baez, but Javi Baez jukes him to the left, like Emmett Smith, you know, in the 92 Dallas Cowboys and just goes around David freeze and slides in the first base and they call him safe. And I'm looking at this and like, I want Javi to be safe, obviously, but I'm like, well, they're going to call him out. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, because it looked like he was, well, he was so far out of, like, what you would think was the base path, right? But they called him safe. Dave Roberts goes out to talk to the umpire and then walks back to the dugout. So no big blowups. And I'm, like, scratching my head. And I don't really get it. But I post the play on all my social media channels. So if you haven't seen it, just catch us on our Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can watch the play. And... Um, and so I see the comments coming through and a few of the comments actually came through on Twitter that told me why the play was legal because I had no idea that what Javi did was actually legal. So here's why Javi Baez was so, was able to go around David Freeze as far as he did. So you have the base path when you're running to first base and you've got the dirt portion and then you've got the grass to the left. Okay. And Javi was on the grass on the left and it looked like he was too far on the grass. But what happened is the runner as a runner, you can establish your base path. And once you establish your base path, you can deviate from that base path up to three feet. So when Javi hit the soft ground to David freeze, he established his base path on the grass about as far inside fair territory as you can get, and then kind of deviated over to the right some to kind of fool David Freeze. Then David Freeze picks up the ball and tags him, and then Javi Baez goes right back to his original base path to get around David Freeze and slide into first. So the play, believe it or not, was actually 100% legal because of the base path that Javi Baez established to get the first base because his base path was so far inside. Again, once David got the ball, by that time, um, Javi was like setting up the juke to kind of go in a traditional base path. Then once David got it, he went back to his previously determined base path that he determined straight from the batter's box and actually got around David Freeze to safe to first base. So if you're wondering why the world, like how was that play legal? That's why the play was legal because it was his initially established base path. And once you establish it, you can get within three feet of that. All right, guys, let's get to the show. Oh, what's up, guys? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studio. I am your host, Quentin. This is, I'm recording this bad boy Wednesday night, um, April 24th. Gosh, summer's going to be here so fast. Before we know it, it's going to be June and July, and we're all going to be sweating our butts off watching summer games with killer farmer's tans, because I get I get absolutely savage farmer's tans. Like, my farmer's tans are so bad. Like, I look like Dwight Street with a beet farm. It's so bad. But I refuse to wear a sleeveless tee because I have arms sort of like, um, I don't know, like a 10-year-old, bro. Like, I used to go to the gym a lot, and then my arms shrunk. And But really what happens is I established a really strong farmer's tan about two years ago, and that farmer's tan has never went away. Like It will never go away. All winter long, my farmer's tan just sticks. So if I go to the ballpark with a sleeveless shirt, it's weird because I'm 35, so I've got, like, my arms are, like, have, like, random sprouts of hair on them, plus they're super pale at the top, so I'm just too embarrassed to wear like a sleeveless shirt to a ball game and plus like that white skin that I have is gonna get so roasted I'll be even worse off than I was if I didn't wear a t-shirt you know yeah I know what you're thinking 
I'll wear Crocs with socks because I do wear Crocs with socks because I love comfort. But I, dude, I don't like to get a sunburn, and that's pretty much what it is. Um, okay, so you probably heard the part at the beginning of the show about the Javi Baez tweet, and I published that tweet. Um, I published the Javi Baez play last night on Twitter. And I said on the tweet that Javi Baez had a Madden rating of 99 overall because he juked David Freeze so hard. It was a super athletic play and a pretty smart play, too. It was almost like, and that's why I love Javi Baez because love him or hate him, I'm pretty, I feel like I can be pretty objective when it comes to baseball teams. If you've listened to the podcast, you know I'm a Cubs fan and you know I don't hesitate to bash the Chicago Cubs. Like, I'll do it. I don't care. But, you know, that's sort of, you know, what the joy of this podcast is, is analyzing your own team as well as, you know, just anything else going on a baseball. So love Javi or hate him. It was a heck of a play. You know, he's sort of like, he might be psychic. I don't know if he's like the Miss Cleo of baseball, but the second that baseball came off the bat, he established his base path in line, and he it's like he knew what was going to happen and already had that planned, and that's why Javi Baez is so great, and I would say at this point, besides him and Anthony Rizzo are the top two players, you know, not counting any pitcher influence like Lackey and Hamels, their veteran presence cannot be overstated. Um, Rizzo and Baez, I think, are the catalysts on that team right now. So hopefully, and the Cubs pitching has started to uh, come off pretty good. So hopefully that ship will start to turn around because we are seeing a lot of good baseball in the NL Central. But what I was getting at with the tweet, man, my tweet right now has like 200 likes and I'm coming up on 800 followers on Instagram. And that's huge for me. You know, I'm not a sponsored podcast. I don't make any money. I don't advertise anything. So I just want to say thanks to everybody who you know, takes the time to like my tweets, follows me on any social media channel. I know Facebook's doing really good. Every Facebook post I put out there seems to get way more interaction, you know, every day than what it used to last year. So I just want to take the time to say thanks for listening to the podcast, participating in anything that I publish online. It really means a lot, you know. I, um, I enjoy doing the podcast. I love to talk baseball. I love the fact that People will listen to my dumb words on my podcast, and it's really humbling that, you know, people do that stuff. So I just want to say thanks for uh, all of the support and, um, you know, being a guinea pig in my system to hopefully one day maybe have a more successful podcast. To me, the podcast is successful right now. You know, I might get 600 unique listeners a month, and to me, that's a million, man. Uh, so thank you for that, and let's, I guess let's get into some good stuff. I, um, okay, check this out. So... A couple days ago, if you've been watching any of the Phillies and Mets games, okay, this is a division rivalry that's really starting to get pumped up. I actually have it playing on my other monitor here in the studio, so if I, like, get delayed or lose my train of thought, it's because I've started watching the game and completely forgotten that I'm recording a podcast, so my apologies ahead of time. But so two nights ago, so it was Monday night, Bryce Harper gets ejected, and I posted on Twitter that I couldn't take a guy seriously because Bryce Harper's getting ejected. He's yelling at the ump. Gabe Kapler is yelling at the ump. I mean, they're letting this guy have it, right? But I had posted that I couldn't take it seriously because Bryce Harper is out here with feathered hair in a turtleneck, acting macho and yelling at the ump over a strike zone, and like... I can't take that seriously. Like, he looks like Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell fighting with Mr. Belding. I mean, he's just got this perfectly quaffed feathered hair, just like a, like a proper turtleneck on. Bryce Harper could literally finish his baseball game and go on a date at, like, a fancy restaurant that has a dress code. He looks so good. And then Gabe Kapler's out there yelling at the umpire as well. And I'm like, Gabe Kapler's, like, the second-best-looking guy in all of Major League Baseball outside of Bryce Harper. These two guys look like Derek Zoolander and Hansel on Zoolander. I'm like, what are these two mo Like, they're by far the two best guys that have ever, ever been thrown out of a baseball game. And it was over strike zone stuff. You know, just the whole stuff. Bryce has a temper. I don't mind the fire that Bryce plays with. But to me, it was super comical that he's just out here with feathered hair and a turtleneck just yelling at the ump. Then Gabe Kapler comes out with his primo tan, like his perfect jawline in the best amount of scruff you can have in the world and I'm just like look at Derek and Haunt look at Derek and Hansel out here trying to like get ejected from a baseball game he's a couple models pursing their lips and trying to get mad I'm like dude it's okay man it was something dude he uh 
But Bryce got kicked out, man, and I think he's obviously pretty frustrated at a strike zone. He's, um, man, I'm wanting to say, dude, in like his seven games, Bryce Harper's batting 202 and slugging like 330. He he's not playing very good. It seems like he he has a problem with the outside strike. Bryce Harper does, but Bryce Harper's been arguing about that same strike zone for like the last three years, dude. He's like an old man that gripes about young kids cruising the block in his neighborhood with their kicker subwoofers, and he just keeps yelling, what the hell song are they playing? Like, get over it, man. Like, they're just going to do it. So, Bryce, the outside strike, you're just going to have to swing at it because they're giving it to you. Either that or get closer to the plate like Rizzo and take advantage of it, or maybe just, you know, develop more of that opposite field power some more, man. But that that's what he's arguing about. It's essentially what kills him. He's striking out a ton. He's not walking a lot. Truth be told, he's not playing like an elite player at all. At this point, I mean, offensively, he's not even... Dude, I mean, he's by, he's not a top 10. He's not performing like a top 10 player at this point. And he's probably affecting the lineup pretty good. But I know this, the Phillies offense got off to a, a really good start, and they've sort of kind of went downhill some. I don't know what the division rankings are. I know the Mets are in first place in that division for sure. So post-game, though, right? And you know what? Actually, let me go ahead and play that clip right now. Here we go. This is Jake Arrieta post-game about Bryce Harper. No, look, I mean, he's got to understand. Look, we need him in right field. I don't care how bad the umpire is. Um, he wasn't great for either side. I'm out there trying to make pitches. He misses some calls. So what? Like, we need him out there. Emotionally, it should have given us a boost, but it didn't. We, uh, we were flat. Dugout was flat. <clears throat> Defense wasn't good. Uh, didn't, didn't throw the ball well as a staff overall. We got beat. Well, it's troubling, yeah. I'm out there doing everything I can to win a game. I need my guys behind me, and they weren't. We need him in right field. I don't care how bad he is. I need him in right field. I need him at the plate, and he wasn't there. So that hurt. Okay, so Jake was pretty mad. He's going on about, you know, he doesn't care how bad the umpire is. There's a lot of me, me in there where Jake's like, I'm out here trying to make pitches. I'm out here doing everything I can. I don't care how many calls they're missing. Like, we need to win the game, and I need you in the field, and I need you to play. Listen to this, man. Jake Arrieta. Okay, Jake Arrieta obviously was a Cubs pitcher, man. He's one of my favorite pitchers in all of baseball, if not my favorite pitcher to watch. Like, I love his motion. I love, I mean, I love the way the guy looks, dude. Big beard, good mound presence. His pitches move really well, and when he's on, he's on. His his run in 2015 is the greatest I'll ever see in my lifetime as far as like starts put together, just how dominant he was. He pitched two no-hitters over a nine-start span. He is one of my favorite pitchers in baseball, but the first thing I thought when I heard this was somebody tell Jake Arrieta to shut up. For one... Miguel Montero, when Jake Arrieta was a Cub, his last season as a Cub in 2017, Miguel Montero called him out for being slow to the plate and not helping him throw batters out. That's what Miguel Montero said. My pitcher's slow to the plate. They're not helping me throw guys out, and I need help. The next day, the Cubs DFA'd Miguel Montero. They said, thanks, but no thanks. We understand that just the previous year, you got the game-winning hit in Game 7 of the World Series, and you're one of the main reasons why we won, but we don't care. You're out of here. And the reason why I bring that up is because I have a hard time believing that Jake Arrieta went to bat for his guy because I feel like if he did, that the Chicago Cubs probably would have held on to Miguel Montero. So my problem with Jake Arrieta throwing out these comments, first and foremost, I point back to his own situation when he was a Cub, when a catcher called him out and then got fired from the team the next day. Because I do believe if Jake had stuck up for his guy, that Miguel would still be a Cub. Number two, this stuff has to stay in the clubhouse, man. Number one, Jake Arrieta, God bless his heart, he's not the leader on this team, but he thinks he's the leader on this team. But Jake Arrieta, truth be told, isn't a leader on any team that he's on, right? Sort of, Jake Arrieta is a great pitcher, pitcher, but when he opens his mouth, he's a joke. I remember when he was going on his hot streak in 2015 and 2016, ESPN was interviewing him on like Sunday Night Baseball, like they'll do when they interview guys during the game. 
And Jake Arrieta is going on about, yeah, you know, guys like me and Madison and Clayton, you know, we got to do this and do that to stay good. And I'm just sitting back here going, listen, Jake, you're good, but you're not in that category. And it seems to me every time Jake opens his mouth, more often than not, it's the Jake Arrieta show. And it's a lot of guys not doing things for him and all of this and all of that. You know, last year he called out Scott Kingery, Philly shortstop at the time last year, in the same fashion, calling him out for making errors, right? And my problem with this is, one, I do not have a problem with Bryce Harper getting ejected from a baseball game for arguing strikes. I don't. The truth be told, I like my players to play with fire, right? I want them to play angry. I want them to play with fire. I want them to be super competitive. I don't want my players chit-chatting it up in second and third base, you know, when the game's on the line. I, I don't. Like, I res- I mean, it's fine if they do it, right? I'm not the player. I can't tell them what to do. You know, you play your game. Baseball is so much mental. I respect, I guess, however you want to play the game. But sometimes when I watch Chris Bryant play baseball, it's like he's in a library finding a book, and he doesn't really say much, and it's just kind of like, do you like, I mean, are you tired? Like, do you want to go to sleep? And I feel like that when I watch a lot of Major League Baseball players, which is one of the reasons I was so excited about Tim Anderson's bat flip. And by the way, I realized during that episode, I called Tim Anderson like three different names, but that's why I was so excited about Tim Anderson's bat flip was because it showed so much emotion, right? If you watch a basketball game or a football game, these guys are pumped, and I don't want baseball to be any of those sports, but I respect Tim Anderson tossing his bat just as I respect Bryce Harper getting thrown out of the game. And if you remember at the very end of that Arietta interview that I just played, Jake said that, well, you know, Bryce getting kicked out didn't give us a boost. Okay, listen, Jake, you're the only person that said that post game, and you obviously knew when it happened, it didn't give you a boost. So, Jake Arietta, if you're a, a leader or the leader of this team, it's up to you to give the team a boost when these things happen. If Bryce Harper gets ejected out of a game that you're starting, it is on you to give the team a boost. And if the team didn't give a boost, my friend, it's on you if you're the leader that you're acting like you are. And Jake Arrieta in this post game, it's a lot of not Jake taking credit. Jake is blaming the problems of the team Essentially, his problems about, I need Bryce to hit. I need Bryce in right field. I don't care how bad the ump is, Jake. Jake Arrieta sounds like an overbearing dad yelling at his son in Little League right now. And he's blaming his problems on other people. And what I want out of my guy is ownership. End of story. It's like that one interview Tim Tebow had when he was a Florida Gator. And it's like the best interview ever where he's... He's on the podium, and I swear he's bloody, and he's saying something along the lines of, the way I played today will never happen again. We'll never lose like this again. It will never happen again, and it's full ownership on his part, right? And so what I look for in a leader in Jake Arrieta's situation is to look at it like, listen, Bryce got kicked out of the game, right? I understand playing with passion because I'm here post-game being a little baby and whining and crying. So I get saying things emotionally. And it was up to me to light that fire in the dugout once Bryce got ejected and once Gabe Kapler got ejected. And I didn't do that tonight. And that's what the difference is between being a leader and being a follower. A follower will say exactly what Jake Arrieta said post-game, but a leader will do sort of what Tim Tebow did in that Florida interview that I'm talking about. I wish I could find it. And if I do, uh, 17 minutes, 44 seconds, I'll insert it right here if I find it. Okay, so hold on. Let me put a mark here. But I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. And you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season. And you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless. Okay, so I'll insert that if I can find it on YouTube, and I'll pull the audio in. And that's what I want out of my leaders, dude. I want full ownership, and I want people in the clubhouse to take control, not to point fingers and blame, especially to do it publicly. And publicly, like, you know, my thing is this. If you're going to say it 
to your clubhouse, you know, tell it to the world. I don't really, I don't, I don't think the crux of, you know, my issue with this is that he said it publicly as much as, you know, he's just not being a leader and taking ownership. But this is directly post-game. I know when Jake made those comments, I doubt he had time to, you know, the whole team getting together in the clubhouse and talking about what happened. It's not like Jake went to the clubhouse and talked to Bryce and talked to the whole team and then repeated what he said in an interview. No, at this point, Bryce and Jake hadn't even talked yet. So it's just like, come on, man. Like, get this stuff going and get it together. Take more leadership, man. I got no problem with Bryce getting kicked out. Huge problem with the way Jake Arrieta tries to be a leader. He's like this cocky guy, and it's always about him, him, him. And it's sort of like, you know, even with his contract, three years at $75 million, he's posted on social media, oh, you young kids better get what's coming to you. You're in for a rude awakening. It's like, dude, Jake, he's yelling at kids walking across his grass, and he's like 85 years old. I'm just like, dude, take ownership for what it's worth. You only got a three-year $75 million contract, Jake Arrieta? That sounds crazy to say only three years and 75 million because you had a crappy 2017 and you walked more guys than a, an elementary school crossing guard. That's how many people you walked, my man. More than the crossing guard that's putting the third graders on the bus safe and sound. And I would have, how would it have felt to, you know, to have Anthony Rizzo post game just say, hey, you know, the offense is out here. You know, we're trying to win a ball game and we got our pitcher walking every other batter. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it, Jake? Well, I hope you're on your game for the rest of the season, my friend, because you better be and you're talking like that you're just the perfect player right now. So I got news for you, buddy. Bring it, man. All right. News from around baseball, news from the desk of Quentin McCree. Uh, there's a Babe Ruth jersey that his family, Babe Ruth's family, is selling a Babe Ruth jersey, and it's expected to sell for $4.5 million. Wow, dude. Like, and what's crazy about the jersey is it's an alternate jersey that didn't get worn a lot. And this jersey Babe wore, I think, between the years 1928 in 1930 and it's not a pinstripe jersey it's a solid white jersey that says Yankees across of it so not only is it a Babe Ruth jersey that he actually wore and sweated in and probably ate hot dogs and drank whiskey and ginger ale in the jersey in the morning when he first woke up but it's rare and he's gonna and his family's selling it for four and a half million dollars and it's crazy right like could you imagine like you're like Babe Ruth was like your great grandpa and you're selling his jersey. Like my first thought is, and as I'm planning this podcast out, I tell myself, I say, would I sell the jersey? I'm like for four and a half million dollars, I'd absolutely sell the jersey, bro. I'm kind of like, dude, give me like half a million dollars and we'll be good. Four and a half million, dude. That's wild. And I bet they have so much memorabilia. Um, it, but the four and a half million is just an expected price. Like it could go up more. The auction is set to start June 15th and I'm going to watch it. Cause I one, I want to see how high it gets. And two, I just want to see who buys it, man. Cause I love vintage, like baseball memorabilia. Like my goal for the podcast is to put a bunch of just old stuff in here. Like I've got a Bo Jackson poster in here, a big Nolan Ryan poster in here. I've got like my old baseball gloves in here, a bunch of old hats, um, old baseball cards. I love to buy wax packs off eBay. I, I don't know if I said that the last podcast episode or not. Super addicting. Go to eBay and you can buy wax packs. I actually ate a piece of 30-year-old gum out of a wax pack. I'll, I'm going to upload this video either tonight or tomorrow. I'll upload to all the social media. And it was a pack of 89 tops. And I see the gum in there. And I'm like, well, you got to eat the gum. I think it's probably sacrilegious to open a pack of cards and not eat the gum, whether it's 30 days old or 30 years old. So I ate the gum. And the gum, like, literally just, it just turned to water in my mouth. And I was super nervous then at that point to swallow it because, I mean, you know, what do they add to it? The gum was as hard as a rock. So I don't know what you have to add to a stick of gum to get it to last that long. I wasn't really interested in finding out, so I spit it out anyway. But keep your eye on the Babe Ruth jersey. Um, other things around baseball, listen, the Atlanta Braves, right, they've had some pitching injuries. So the, um, and the Braves, I think, are a, or a decent favorite to win the NL East. You know, I think a lot of people coming into the season were like, well, you've got the Braves and you've got the Phillies. And then the Mets did a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's a strong division. And 
Oh, I got the Cubs game on in the background. My apologies. Cole Hamels and Walker Buehler tonight. Man, Walker Buehler is a stud of a pitcher. But, oh, <laughs> sorry. What I was going to say is the Braves have a guy named Max Freed. Max Freed. That's his name. But his last name, it's spelled like fried. Just like Bojangles fried chicken. All right? You know what I mean? But the Braves have had a lot of pitching injuries. Right? Sean Newcomb, he's a lefty that throws high 90s. He's in AAA right now. Tuki Toussaint, I think, is in AAA. Uh, Mike Fultonevich, who was an all-star last year, thought to be their number one. He's injured. And it's like, okay, what's his team going to do for pitching? But this guy, Max Freed, man, he's had four starts this season. They've all been six innings, with the exception of one was six and a third. Out of these four starts, he's only allowed runs in two of those starts. And I've got some numbers here that are pretty huge. He's got an ERA of, I think it's uh, I don't have that written down, but to the top of my mind, I think his earned run average is 1.38 over four starts. His four starts were against the Cubs, who have, on a runs-per-game basis, are fourth or fifth in all of baseball, and he had a six-inning no-run start against the Cubs. He's had His other three starts were against the Diamondbacks, who they've got some, they've got some bats in their lineup. But they've got a guy, Christian Walker, who right now has better stats than Paul Goldschmidt, and the seventh inning or later has hit all of his home runs for the season, which is six, and in the seventh inning or later, bats like 571. So he's essentially Michael Jordan against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like he's hitting a baseball good. And then they have, I have my fantasy team, Eduardo Escobar. He's up. Um, he's an Arizona Diamondback, too. He had a ton of doubles last year, and he's getting hot as well, right? And, of course, you know, the Diamondbacks still got a little bit of pitching left. But, you know, that's a good start. And then he played the Rockies, won that game. And then, you know, he pitched against the Indians. Um, good stuff, dude. He, he His whip is about one. I think it's like a smidgen higher, like 1.03. And right now, the guy's so young. He's only 23. I believe he was a first-rounder. I think he's went to high school, like, somewhere out in California. They picked him up at high school. He's got stellar fastball command so right now he's living off two pitches he's got a stellar fastball and then he apparently has an amazing curveball impeccable control with both of those pitches his curveball gets a lot of dudes to swing and miss from what I've read Max Fried's curveball is one of the best in all of baseball and he's basically living off of two pitches right now but he'll occasionally throw in um, a slider and a changeup. Those are pitches that he's still working on, and he'll sort of sprinkle those in like Parmesan cheese on your favorite spaghetti. You know what I'm saying? And it's like if either one of those pitches develops with a strong third pitch, like he's only going to get better. And right now he he goes out there. One of his starts was on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN on a national stage, and right now he's coming out getting cool, calm, and collected. So, Keep an eye on this guy, man. I think he's a guy you should watch. You know, I always look for um, guys to watch in baseball that aren't a part of my team. And I think that's fun to do, no matter who your favorite team is, because baseball is such a regional sport. It really is hard to kind of discover new players like Christian Walker. That's the Arizona Diamondback I was just talking about, dude. And he's he's a stud in the seventh inning or later, man. He for sure has the clutch gene. And then to look at guys like Tyler Glass now on the Tampa Bay Rays, he's throwing what looks to be like an ace right now. He's had four or five starts this season with a sub-2 ERA. The Tampa Bay Rays also have Yandy Diaz, man, who's coming up with a pretty good bat. Who else off the top of my head? Oh, the Pittsburgh Pirates have really good pitching right now. They've got a starter named Trevor Williams who's pitching really good. And then another guy, I'll never, ever think of his name. But the, um, hold on, I can find it right now on Baseball Reference. But the Pirates got a couple good pitchers, too, that will just surprise you that are uh, that are really, really fun to watch. Um, I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. But remember the name Max Fried. You know, I'll keep giving out new names, um, you know, each episode and stuff like that. But remember Max Fried, man. He's a good guy to watch, super fun. And, I mean, he pitches really good, man. It's exciting. Got it. I had to... Uh, I had to go to baseball reference to get it. The Pirates pitcher that I'm talking about, Jordan Lyles. He started three games this year. He's thrown 17 innings, only given up 10 hits, 18 strikeouts, five walks, and he has a .53 ERA. And Chris Archer's running a 2.74 ERA. Jamison Tyon looks real good at a 3.12. Joe Musgrove's got a 159 and 28 starts. And Trevor Williams, who was good last year, 
over 31 innings, has a 2.59 ERA. I think right now, if I'm not mistaken, if the Pirates don't have the lowest earned run average in all of baseball, it's really close. And I think the Pirates are second in the NL Central right now. Good stuff's happening out of there. And it's one of the things like we're sort of seeing in baseball right now is these teams who seemingly trade everyone away and look like they're tanking have productive seasons like the Rays and the Pirates. And it was just lat- the beginning of last season that the A's, the Rays, and the Pirates were named in a grievance from the Players Union for essentially not trying to win. And it's completely crazy. And, oh, hold on. Before I go on any further, I read this awesome um, post. Jeff Passan from ESPN posted about the Tampa Bay Rays payroll. And he wrote an article on it, too. It's basically about how Tampa's so good with such a low payroll. And... That, that's to me. That's why they're so exciting to watch because they're they're good because they're smart, and that's what I love about the Rays. Listen to this. I'm gonna read you what the picture that Jeff Passan put on uh, Twitter today that was attached to his story. The Tampa Bay Rays have Major League Baseball's best winning percentage at 16 and eight. Their plus 48 run differential is tops in all of baseball, and they're doing it with a 40 man roster making slightly more than $50 million. Okay, so remember that number. The Rays' base salary is exactly $53,647,000. It's approximately that. The Rays' salary for all their guys at 16-8, and eight, the best team in baseball percentage-wise right now, is $1.35 million less then the base salaries of Miguel Cabrera and Jordan Zimmerman of the Detroit Tigers. Wow. That makes me not... The past two off-seasons, there has been talk of collusion because players aren't getting paid. I mean, I forget about it, but Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel don't have teams. They're still free agents and nobody wants them. And the reason why nobody wants them is because of what I just read. The Tampa Bay Rays won 90 games last year, and they're even better this year. And their whole entire team payroll is less than what the Tigers paid Jordan Zimmerman and Miguel Cabrera right now. And they've still got to pay those guys for a few years. They're not going to be able to compete for a while because they got a couple guys that are hamstringing the whole entire payroll system. So when you see stuff like that and you see teams you think in the offseason not making a lot of moves, it's because of what the Rays are doing. It's because of what the Pirates are doing. And I don't blame them. You know, I really am all for structuring. But when when I see when I put it in a vacuum and I, I see what I've just said with the Rays and the Pirates, if the Major League Baseball Players Union tries to strike. It looks to me, if I take these facts, just on the surface right now on a podcast, I didn't even plan to say any of this. If I take these facts, the players would be 100% in the wrong to strike and have no basis to strike. All they need to do is restructure their agreement as far as our arbitration and rookie control. And that's pretty much it. But it's amazing what these teams are doing. Um, Yeah, okay, let's get to the... uh, I need music for in between my transactions because I feel like I'm just awkward from like one topic to the next. Let's get on to the next one. Okay, let's get to some power rankings. So we're going to go to the uh, Quentin McCree Greatest Show Under Baseball Podcast live from the Sweet Bee Studio. Power rankings. Okay, for my number one team, I, and last time I did this, I think I put the Tampa Bay Rays at number one, but I'm putting the Dodgers at number one right now. One, because... Clayton Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw, he's back, and his last start, he pitched pretty good, so between that and, like, Jose Urias, who can pitch good, Kenta Maeda, who pitched like garbage last night against the Cubs, thank you for that, Uh, Pedro Baez, Kenley Jansen, who I think is, like, the toughest reliever to hit in all of baseball, I don't know how that'll play out this year, Um, they're deep on pitching, man, and they're also deep on offense, but Cody Bellinger... Dude, home run pace right now for Cody Bellinger, 74. 
home run pace. Listen, he's batting 424 on the season, and I get it, right? It's still April, so a guy can bat 424 in April. But one, he's facing major league pitching. Two, major league pitchers throw harder than ever, and I don't know if pitching's had more of an advantage than ever. I mean, it's, it's so much easier to strike out now, especially when you're a guy like Bellinger, who's seen as a power lefty, right, who has a very launch angle swing. But he's batting 424 over 85 at bats this season. It's like 23 games. He has a 500 on base percentage. So over 23 games this season, 85 at bats, he gets on base half the time and his hitting 24. That's a good chunk to be still batting 424, man. He is a dangerous hitter. And I think it's getting to the point where and Dave Roberts loves to platoon people. I don't think they're platooning for Cody Bellinger anymore. And I don't think they ever need to do it. He's a really good hitter. And believe it or not, he's a better defender and a lot faster than what you would think he is. Dude, Dodgers won. Two. Listen, okay, so I'm putting the Tampa Bays at number two. Um, Tommy Pham, pure stud horse. Pure stud horse. Listen, the guy's basically legally blind and has to have corrective lenses because he has a degenerative eye disorder. What Tommy Pham is doing, I'm amazed by it every single day because it's all he can do. The amount of time and energy and doctor's appointments he has to put in to keep correcting his lenses just to see, just to see in life, right, is so amazing. But the fact that he's hitting a baseball like he does... It's unbelievable, dude. It's truly an inspiring story. And on top of that, dude, they got a guy. This is it, man. Another guy that you might not watch play that you should. Dude, the Tampa Bay Rays, they traded Chris Archer last year to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they got a guy in return named Austin Meadows. Dude, Austin Meadows is like on a 44 home run pace right now. He's on the disabled list. I think he tweaked a little something. But Austin Meadows, I think I've seen him. He bats to the top of the lineup. I think I've even seen him hit leadoff. But he's like a 1-2 hitter. Okay? Dude, he is hitting hard, man. And then Yandy Diaz, hitting hard. I would mentioned the pitching before. Tyler Glass now. He's got a someone whip. 153 ERA. 200 average against. Dude, Tyler Glass now is also the other guy that they got from the Pittsburgh Pirates for Chris Archer. So you see the Rays trade Chris Archer, and you're just like, whatever. They're just going to call in the 2019 season because they know they're going to make the playoffs because it's Chris Archer, right? He used to be good at one point. So they got Austin Meadows, who's hitting the leather off the ball. And then Tyler Glasnow. Listen, Tyler Glasnow had a start against the Houston Astros, who have everybody that's good in their lineup, right? Every single person, they're all good. Um, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer, dude. They just hit, man. They rake. They rake like it's the fall and their leaves falling from the sky. He had a start against the Houston Astros. Five innings, one run, just off a home run. Bregman hit it. Gave up like two or three hits, all on 77 pitches. Dude, Tyler Glass now is good. Number three on my power rankings, as bad as it pains me to say this, it is the St. Louis Cardinals, dude. They got some guys in the bullpen now. Jordan Hicks leads all of baseball in saves. They got a couple relievers, John Gant and John Brebbia. I had no idea who these guys were at the beginning of the season, right? Like, they could be Major League Baseball players or... Like, they could work construction and, like, be the guy that's roofing my house. Like, I have no idea, man. No idea. They could be accountants, man. But I know a lot of good accountants out there. Josh and Charity, I know you're listening. Good night. Um, Just a little shout-out to some fans. Uh, actually, that's my cousin Josh and his wife. <laughs> um, what's up, guys? No no offense to accountants, but just what I just don't know who Brebia and Gant are. They're both names John. They could be John Doe for all I know, right? If I saw him. If I went to Harris Teeter now and saw him shopping for powdered donuts while I was shopping for powdered donuts, I would know to ask for an autograph. They're shut down relievers. Andrew Miller is pitching like garbage. But these other two guys, all the guys in their bullpen, it's lock it down. Paul D. Young, I have him on my fantasy team as well as John Breby and John Gant. 
DuPaul DeYoung is hitting good. Marcelo Zuna is hitting better than what he did last year. Hell, even Dexter Fowler hit a home run after he gave a home run to Noah Syndergaard that bounced off his glove like Jose Canseco. If you haven't seen that play, Dexter Fowler, he's playing center field, and he's going back to try to like catch this home run ball, like sort of rob it. And it just bounces off his glove and goes over the wall, just like the ball that bounced off Jose Canseco's head. Like Dexter Fowler's, he's past his prime, my man. But Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader, I think they're a little banged up, so he's having a play. But hell, Fowler had a four-hit night, which doubled his hit total from last year, I'm pretty sure. But what I'm getting at is this. Paul Goldschmidt's only going to warm up and get hotter. Cardinals look good, unfortunately. I think they just swept the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Cardinals have the best record in the National League. They're 15 and 9, maybe 16 and 9, and they swept the Brewers. And the Brewers now, I believe, are sitting at 500. So, uh Cardinals 3, the Astros at 4 because of, well, everyone that they have on their team. Um I haven't watched a lot of Astros games, but I know their guys. I know Altuve's heating up, man. Carlos Correa, I think, will heat up. They're, they look healthy, and they look good, and I think they'll start to uh, perk up for them, man. And plus, they'll probably be division winners, I would say. And then number five, honestly, I put the Brewers at number five. I'm, I'll, I'll leave them there, but the Brewers probably aren't going to make my top five. The Milwaukee Brewers have the highest starting pitching ERA in all of baseball. Josh Hader... Their secret weapon, without him, they don't get anywhere. He's sitting at a 3.75 ERA and has given up a home run in three straight appearances, right? It's like Arnold said on Predator, if it bleeds, we can kill it. And that's what's happening to Josh Hader, and they're hitting him right now at a 3.75 ERA. would have never thought this would happen. But if you don't have him and your starters are tanking, I mean, they don't have any name-brand starters. You know, Zach Davies had some pretty good starts, but they got guys that are hurt. They got guys with touchdown earn run averages. Freddie Peralta's running over a 7. Brandon Woodruff, I think, is in the minor leagues with a 5.3. Guys they needed, guys they were counting on, they ain't coming up, dude. It's not happening. Plus, listen, little-known fact, okay, I've seen a lot on social media, a pretty good amount, and I, it, probably a lot of it is in jest, but people are like, what's Christian Yelich doing? Is he on steroids? How did he go from, you know, like, who's a really bad hitter? I wish I could think of a super, super analogy right now. It's like, how did he go from Jason Hayward to Barry Bonds? Now, I say that knowing that Christian Yelich was never that bad of a hitter. Christian Yelich was always a good hitter, and actually Jason Hayward is a hot hitter for the Cubs right now. That's an awful analogy. Let's just say that I'm not good on the spot. As soon as my red light kicks on to record a podcast, I'm like, oh, what do I say? So, but what I'm getting at is this. People have been sort of suspicious, man. Haters are sort of suspicious of Christian Yelich. They're like, hey, man, what's he doing? Milwaukee is a hitter's ballpark, for one. So, and everyone knew, like, when he got to Milwaukee that he was going to rake. And it's exactly what he's doing. So, he's in a hitter-friendly ballpark. And he's in the zone right now. He's seeing the ball really good. It's basically a beach ball coming at him. But look at this, man. My guy, Christian Yelich, who struck out today with the bases loaded to lose the game to Jordan Hicks and the St. Louis Cardinals... At home, that's where he's hit all of his home runs. Christian Yelich has 13 home runs. He's two away from having the most home runs before May 1st. The guys that hold the record, it's 15 home runs by May 1st. And it's Albert Pujols did it once. And then the other guy, Alex Rodriguez. Those two guys, 15 home runs before May 1st. Christian Yelich has 13. Well, I got news for you. If Christian Yelich didn't have more home games than away games, he wouldn't be at 13 home runs. All of his 13 home runs, they're all at home. 19 of his 23 ribbies, or shoot, 19 of his 23 runs, all at home. 29 of Christian Yelich's 31 RBIs are at home. He's batting 417 at home, 233 on the road. Yeah. 233 on the road, no home runs, two RBIs, four walks, 12 strikeouts in 11 games. 
He has six strikeouts in 14 games at home, but 12 strikeouts in 11 games away. Crazy. He's a home guy. So the reason why I don't think the Brewers are going to make my top five power rankings next week, because Christian Yelich can't hit if he's not at Miller Park. That's a huge vulnerability when your pitching is just being hung out to dry. Your one bullpen weapon, Jeremy Jeffries, came back today and I think pitched an inning with a couple strikeouts. But if your starters aren't going and, you know, maybe you're relying on Josh Hader too much, he might start to get tired at some point with all these multi-inning things. Um, It's weird for him to give up three home runs in three straight games. It's weird like just, man, it's like lottery strange, dude. Like you don't just go out and buy a lottery ticket and win it. And for I would have never bet any amount of money that Hader would give up three home runs in three straight starts. You know what I'm saying? It's weird, like that weird person cruising Walmart in a wheelchair who gets up, lets her service dog loose, then starts doing karate moves in the aisle. That's how weird Christian Yelich giving up three home runs in three straight games is. Um, But that's my top five right now. If I had to replace the Brewers right now on the spot as a top five team, uh, and I don't know if I got a team yet, honestly, um... Man, I don't know. I I like a lot of what the San Diego Padres are doing, but I worry that they're not going to be able to hold what they're doing because they do have great pitching. I wonder if it's going to hold all season because the pitching's so young. I lo- the Mets look way better than what I thought I would, but they're actually running at a negative run differential right now. The Minnesota Twins, dude. Um Maybe if if you put me right on the spot, it sounds nuts, dude, but these are my power rankings and I make the stupid rules and you chose to listen to me. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to be wrong about this, but the twins, the Minnesota twins on their offense, their OPS plus their batting average, their home runs and their doubles. It's all like top six in all of baseball, dude. Uh, Byron Buxton and... Oh, a guy named Rosario. Man, do you ever forget what players' names are? Um, So that's pretty much the situation I've just ran into right now. Uh, Eddie Rosario, dude, that's it. Listen, Eddie Rosario and Byron Buxton, Nelson Cruz and Jorge Polanco, all those guys are hitting pretty good for him. And do I think this will probably hold? Listen, I don't know, but the reason why... Okay, here's what you got. Jorge Polanco is batting 370. Um, Eddie Rosario's batting 274 with 10 home runs. And Byron Buxton's getting on base at 284 with a 333 on base. That's about as high as he can do. And if he can get better and turn the corner on getting on base, dude, the guy's fast. He's a phenomenal fielder, phenomenal athlete, and he can steal bases. And the reason why I would put my twins, these twins, not my twins, these twins, in a top five power ranking and not be crazy is because they could win their division. The Indians have good pitching, but I I think their offense has struggled. Guys are hurt. I don't know offensively if they can fully rely on Jose Ramirez and Frankie Lindor. Their starters are phenomenal, but I do believe that the Twins could win this division. And because they could win the division, they would not be a wild card game. Therefore, they could get into the playoffs. So if they get to the playoffs, I mean, I think any team could be a threat once you get to the playoffs. I get it. It's April. I'm probably wrong. But I might be right. Weirder things have happened, dude. I don't think anyone expected the Tampa Bay Rays to win 90 games last year. But here we are. And no one expected the athletics to do that, too. Baseball, teams are getting smart. And I think as we go on to this like statistical data stat cast error, that you will start to be surprised more by teams with lower payrolls who maybe don't have guys you've ever heard of, like the catcher for the Minnesota Twins. His name is Mitch Garver. I have no clue. I had no idea that Mitch Garver was a baseball player or who he was until I looked today on the Minnesota Twins roster. But 
He's a 28-year-old catcher. He's in his second full season of playing baseball for the Twins, and he's just casually batting 408 with a 919 slugging percentage and five homers through 37 at-bats this season in 11 games, dude. So he's hitting the ball right now, and I know with catchers, you'll get that with catchers. You know, it's hard to get a catcher that's going to be great for a long time and have a big window, right? Like, Yadi Molina and Buster Posey, those are the exceptions. But guys like Giovanni Soto, that's sort of the rule, man. Like, you'll get a catcher that's going to come, maybe give you like three good seasons, and it just sort of falls off because being a catcher is so hard on your body, man. It just is. So you might look at a guy like Mitch Garver and say, I don't know who he is. But when you have teams playing smart, and then you get a catcher who can sit in a really good three to four year window, like Jonathan Lucroy, then you know that, that good players come out of the woodwork, man, and it does happen. All right, dude, I'm done, man. We'll end the show now. I'm gonna finish cutting this bad boy and get it going. Thank you for listening. You know the routine, man. If you want free stickers, leave us a review, screenshot your review, which can be done on Facebook. Google Play and iTunes, dude. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you letting me yell at you for 49 minutes. Enjoy baseball tonight, dude. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk soon and hey, have a good night.